cover a few chapters here. They're short chapters, and uh, it's kind of cool. Basically, what we're going to see today is that uh, as you take care of your family, your family then impacts the community, and then that community can impact the nation. You know, some of you here, you're, you're right in the middle of it. You have your, your children with you. Maybe they're small, or it doesn't even matter what their age are, what their age is. You're still impacting them. You are, you are impacting them. You have a heavy responsibility as a parent, um, especially some of you here are grandparents. And so as you're impacting them, as you're pointing them to Christ, and then I've always told you guys how family is a fabric of society. Then they're going to go out into the cities, and then they're going to go out into, into the nations. And it's kind of cool you know, to be reminded of these things, all rooted, it's all rooted in this solid walk and relationship with God. And so uh, notice what we read here in Psalm 127, and beginning in verse 1. It says, a song of ascents uh, of Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so, a couple of ways to look at this. I divided this chapter up into two sections. Verses 1 and 2, beware of vanity. And then in, in verses 3 to, through 7, enjoy your family. Now again, we've been talking about the Song of Ascents, and so these are psalms that they would sing as they would travel up to Jerusalem. They would sing them every year, uh, Psalms 120 through 134. And, and it's an interesting one because this one is written, it says right there, of, of, by Solomon. And so uh, Solomon only wrote two psalms, this one and Psalm uh, 72. And so it was an inspired chapter of the Bible, impressively, right? But unfortunately and tragically, we know that Solomon did not heed his own word. He wasn't a good dad. He knew the truth. He wrote the truth. It's in the Bible, but he didn't follow through with it. And so we're going to see that as we cover this psalm. But, but again, uh, verse 1, unless the, the Lord builds the house, that they labor in vain who build it, unless the Lord guards the the city, the watchman uh, stays awake in vain. And this is one of my, my favorite psalms. I, I consider this psalm uh, relevant to us as a church. Um, but here it's speaking of something differently. You know, what you think about it, what, what kind of house or home could we build without the Lord? You know, we might labor vigorously, and it might look good externally, temporarily, right? But it won't last. It will eventually be vanity. And we're going to see that word vain uh, a few times in this psalm. You know, if we yield to the Lord, then things will be different. It's kind of cool. You know, none of us here are perfect, but we're going to try to, you know, to be holy. We're going to try to be obedient. We're going to let the Lord build the house. And as we're yielding to Him, as we're doing things according to His blueprints, the Bible, then the Lord builds the house. 
you know, I could visualize myself there, and I'm not really mechanically inclined, but I do, you know, a few things, laying down some floor recently or whatever. I'm in the past, I've done drywall and framing and things like that. You know, but imagine me building the house, and then the Lord says, here, let me do it. And I'm like, no, it's cool. You know, I got it. I got this. And that's what happens when we don't do things God's way. God says, let me build the house. And there you are, and you're telling God no because you're insisting on doing things your way. If we yield to the Lord, he'll build the house. But if not, we're going to suffer the consequences. You know, we read in Leviticus 26.20, And your strength shall be spent in vain, for the land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Imagine building the house, building the house, but you're laboring in vain when you're not doing it the Lord's way. Now, now the house, I suppose if you wanted to, you could look at it literally, physically, brick by brick, but it's most likely in reference to what we refer to as a home, right? And more specifically, your family. I think you guys know just as well as I do that there are plenty of people who have a house, but they don't have a home. And we need to know that as we, as we build our homes, we have to do it by the wisdom of God's word. And that goes for both mom and dad. Uh, Psalm 14 in verse 1, it says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. What a heavy responsibility it is to be a, a mom, to be a dad, right? To be a parent. You know, when I, when I read this principle, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' words in Matthew. And I was wondering if you could turn to Matthew chapter 7. And most of you know Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And these are what I would call the, probably the closest thing to the Christian manifesto. I mean, those are the details of how we're to live this radical life of a discipleship uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, right? And so you read your Bible, most of you here, probably your Bible, the words are in red, right? Because these are the words of Jesus. And he would go, and what we find, Jesus would do circuit teaching. So he would go to all the different cities, and he would teach these things everywhere he went. Now, there's another version of this in Luke. It's called the Sermon on the Plain because it's very similar to this, but it was uh, spoken in a different setting. And so basically these are Jesus' words to us, right? This is what he wants us to obey. This is how he wants us to be. And, and then at the end, the conclusion of his instruction, it says in verse 24 of Matthew 7, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Now, now, we can't change the past, but we can change the future. And what we find right here is the Lord is challenging us. Yeah, you, you know the word, you heard the word. Are you doing the word? Are, are you being obedient, yes or no? Because it, it, here's what he says. You know, you guys are both hearing, but this guy right here, he's doing 
And so uh, all he's saying, here's what happens. When you're living a life of not perfect, but proper, faithful, consistent, you know that you've been praying to the Lord. You've been praying with your wife. You're praying with your kids the best that you can. You're doing what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Then I'll tell you what, you, you can rest in the, in the Lord. You go to sleep fine. Even though things might be a little discombobulated, you have a peace in your heart because you know that you're right with God. And, and that's what he's saying right here. You can go to sleep. You can rest. You know, I find myself sometimes in situations and circumstances that are stressful or whatever, pressing. But as I'm walking through my life and I'm thinking these things through, I have a peace. Because I know, even though I'm not perfect, I'm seeking God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And I, I could just, I have a peace. But if you're not... If you're living in sin, if you know that, you know, God's calling you deep and you refuse to go, then, I mean, there's no peace. There really isn't. You know, and, and this affects our, our families. This affects our communities. I think of the city of Almani that recently they passed legislation to open up five marijuana dispensaries in just the neighborhood, man, right there. We you know the kids are going to walk by. And so um, the blood's going to be on their hands. You know, we had a sister here. She, we have a sister here. She's a city councilwoman. She voted against it, but the, it went down. They won. They got their thing three to two. And so in 30 days, they're going to open up these marijuana dispensaries, right? And they're just their, their, their reasoning is, is I'm, I know at the end of the day, they just want money, right? They think we'll get some money and we'll make our city better. Really? I mean, it's just crazy. You know, even, and, and I, if I would have been able to go down there, I wasn't able to go, but even the chief of police, I love that man, but I would just respectfully disagree because at the end of the day, what ends up happening is um, he's saying, well, you know, we'll make it legal here. That way we kind of, you know, the illegal stuff, it dwindles. And that's not the way it works. I mean, you make it legal right here. It's a 7-Eleven where you can go and you get pot and get high, you know, what does that do? It increases those who go and get high. It increases the young, the young people. Now there's more. And they're not going to buy it there. Why? Because it costs more. It's taxed and it's taxed. And so it's crazy what you're reasoning, you know, for that and you're reasoning for money. What if you just did things God's way? What if the city, you know, they did it God's way? Then the Lord will guard the city. But this is going to be a crazy thing, and it's the world that we live in. Now, of course, we know God is sovereign and in control, but I'm just saying, you know, and it just grieves my heart, you know, again, I have to respect our mayor and some of the city council, but, man, next time I hope people vote differently. It's just crazy what we see. And so looking at this psalm right here, here let me give you guys a quick outline. Um, like I said earlier, beware of vanity. Um, don't build yourself, don't guard yourself, and don't trouble yourself. That's kind of what we see in verses 1 through 2. But then, after beware of vanity, is in, enjoy your family. And what I've found is that as you're enjoying your family, you're doing things God's way, you're going to then produce, God's going to produce some really good citizens, you know, citizens of heaven, and also citizens on earth. Notice in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, 
the fruit of the womb is a reward. The Hebrew word translated heritage here is found 222 times in the Bible. 192 times uh, it's translated inheritance. And so, you know, most of us, I don't know if you guys are, but most of us are worried about what inheritance we will leave to our children, when in all reality, the Bible says that the children are our inheritance. It's kind of funny. You know, see, infinitely better than any amount of money or material property is the blessing of family. They're from the Lord. They're a gift of God's grace. The Bible says that in Genesis 33, verse 5, when Jacob was speaking to Esau, he, he said, Esau lifted up his eyes, saw the woman, the children, and he said, who are these with you? And so he, he Jacob, he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And, and you know, uh, my kids are a little older now. I'm still in the thick of this. Those of you who have children that are young, of course, you know, it's very, very relevant. Those of you who are children that are older, though, don't don't abandon them there's still parenting to do there's still a lot of things that we're going to see it here that we can do as parents you know i mean they're a blessing to us uh, we need to see them that way our society needs to see it that way you know the fruit of the ground is good and enjoyable but it's nothing compared to the fruit of the womb right i mean kids it says right here god says they are a reward we're living in a society where many don't see it that way. Oftentimes they see children as a burden more than a blessing. But here God sets our society straight and he tells us, behold, he says, look, you know, can't you see every child is to be cherished as a reward from the Lord? You know, Deuteronomy 7 verse 13, it talks about how God will bless and God will multiply. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. They're, they're a blessing from God. You know, verse 4, it says, uh, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate and, and you know this the whole the whole psalm here is just so cool you know when we do things god's way and think about it the lord building your house okay some people have a house but they don't have a home right and it doesn't matter if it's a tent it, if the lord builds it how beautiful that is you got to let the lord build the the house you got to let the lord guard the city and when that happens it changes the family it changes our society when we truly receive the protection peace and even people that god provides then we end up winning wars because we are in a war and and we're warriors you know that's what it says right here like arrows in the hand of a warrior now, remember the Song of Ascent. It's a Psalm of Ascent. So they're going up to Jerusalem. And you have to take that into context. That he's talking about, like, we need to protect Jerusalem. We need to protect that city. And so we're talking, about, we're talking about family that then affects the whole city. And so, you know, as kids, they're, they're, you know, they're arrows in our hands. Uh, and what ends up happening is when we do things God's way, there's... 
you know, happiness in the home. When we do things God's way, we're going to be blessed in our family and our children will be a blessing to society. Uh, there it says in verse 5, uh, they shall not be ashamed. And so more than likely that's in reference to the, the kids, right? Because happy is the man, singular, but they shall not be ashamed is, is plural. Probably in reference to our children, making a difference there at the city gates where the judges ruled, where the generals spoke even sometimes to hostile armies. They shall not be ashamed. Now, what a difference you parents make to your children. Why? Because you did things God's way. You didn't compromise. You didn't say, hey, you know, let's be pals. A lot of times parents want to be best friends. That doesn't happen until later on in life, I think. You know, for the most part, what we have to do is just we got to be parents. You know, I mean, here, I don't know if you can visualize mom and dad pulling those arrows out of their quiver you know, we don't know the details as to their destinies, but by the grace, love, and mercy of God, we do our best to point our children. Can you visualize? You're pulling out the arrow now. You're putting it in the bow, and you're pointing it. You're a parent. You're pointing it in a certain direction, right? You don't know everything, but as together you're learning your kids, together you're praying, together you're with them. And you're, you're pointing them in a certain direction that they may fulfill their God-given mission. It's all part of the Great Commission and this war that, that we're in. You know, I, I was reading this, and as I was closing my study, I, I, I went to Shelley's uh, library, and I noticed she had an Adrian Rogers Bible, study Bible. And I think it's mine, but somehow it ended up in her, um, with her books. And so I just said, I wonder if Papa Adrian has anything to say on this. And man, I got so blessed. He had this big article on this right here. And let me give to you uh, five things that he said as far as children as arrows. Number one, when you think of uh, the, the dad as the warrior and the kids as the arrow, he says, number one, the warrior must be skilled and strong. And so he talked about how when he was young, he had one of those arrows with a little plunger on the end, and it would kind of, you know, shoot the glass. And so he liked, you know, shooting arrows. So when he went into the university, went to college, he found out that you had to be strong to, to pull those bows. I guess um, he was saying this one particular one, he said it must have been Samson's bow and arrow because it weighed 100 pounds. Imagine that. And he said that he thought he was strong because he's a football player, but he tried pulling it back, and he couldn't. It just went plop like that on the ground. And so as a parent, yeah, you know, as a warrior, you have to be strong. You have to be strong in the Lord, okay? Second thing is the twig must be shaped and sharpened. And so how do they get arrows, right? They don't go down to the, the artillery store. They I mean, they have to get a stick. And usually the stick is all bent and tweaked, and it's got things pointing this way and that way. You have to work on that arrow. You have to sand it down. You have to somehow scrape it against a rock and sharpen it, right? And that's what we do with our kids. I mean, somehow the Lord will show you how to do your part in molding them and shaping them so that they can be shaped and sharpened arrows. Number three, the bow must be strong and bent. Now, this is interesting because the way that uh, Adrian Rogers saw it is that this is, um, this is prayer. 
This is prayer. And as you're praying for your kids, because you're getting ready to launch them out, right? And oh, you just have to make sure that you don't give up. You don't stop. You just constantly, as a parent, obviously, you're going to constantly be, um, you know, praying for them. Number four, the aim must be true and clear. Now, the interesting thing about this, and uh, I, when I was reading the article, is what is the aim for the kids? What, what is it that you want for them as a parent? Obviously, you want to shoot straight. You want to make sure that they know the Lord. But as parents, and once your kids do accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you just want the will of God. You want the will of God for their life. And so you're discovering that with them, right? And then number five, the arrow must be released and sent. And so arrows are not, uh, you know, to be collected. They're to be projected. They're not just like, oh, okay, I got arrows, and now they're caught. No, they're to be shot. And that can be the difficult part sometimes as a parent, you know, where you have to let your kids go. I don't want to do that. But sometimes, you know, the Lord shows us ways and it's timing and everything like that. And so I thought that was cool. I wanted to share that with you. Psalm 127, great psalm for the family. And Psalm 128 also, notice what it says. It's a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The second time he mentions the fear of the Lord. The, the Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so he, he declares the blessing uh, there in verse 1 of everyone who fears the Lord. Not just some, but everyone who fears the Lord. And when you fear the Lord and you trust the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. When you obey the Lord... You'll be blessed by the Lord. You see? And it all starts with this healthy fear of the Lord. You know? Why does he walk in God's ways? And the reason is because he fears the Lord. This morning I read in Exodus 20, verse 20. It says, For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And so that was the time in Exodus 20 where God's giving them, that God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments and the mountain is smoking and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's trumpets. It's just a crazy manifestation of who God is. And so the people were afraid, which in one sense, it was a good thing. It's, it's good to have a healthy fear of God. I think the reason why people sin, they do their thing, is because they don't fear God. And, and this is such a bummer where God had this wonderful plan for your life and you chose to do your own thing and you just lost it because there's no fear of God. You know, I can't emphasize enough how huge it is to have a healthy fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Psalm 111, verse 10, 
Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is found, that phrase found 27 times in the Bible. We read it twice. We read about the fear twice in this chapter. And you might wonder, well, why should we fear God? What reason is there to fear God? Number one, damnation. You know, God's not going to let anyone in who's not washing the blood of Jesus. And that for us as Christians, we have to abide in him. And so that's a good reason to fear the Lord, right? Uh, Matthew 10, verse 28, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, and, and so that's one reason, damnation. Another reason is discipline, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, it gives us the whole, uh, just the, the breakdown of how God will discipline his children and sometimes he'll scourge them you know and so i don't know i mean to me and i know some people they like to water it down and they say well it's a, they fear of the lord is just a reverence for god I, I think it does include a reverence for god but i think for me i think when i read my bible and i see this all these things you know the discipline you know samson because he kept messing with girls how one day they just came and they gouged out his eyes and they bound him. And then next thing you know, he spent the, left of, the, less, the rest of his brief life grinding at the mill. That, that strikes fear into my heart. And it's a good thing to have a healthy fear. I mean, wouldn't it be cool, you guys? And I know um, it, it sounds crazy to even have to say this, but wouldn't it be cool if our church was just sexually pure. I mean, if everybody that said, I go to Calvary Chapel Almani or I go to church, you know, I mean, they just, it's a trip how you can almost assume in every church, even churches that love God and teach the Bible, you can almost assume that people are being sexually immoral. I mean, it shouldn't be that way because there's no fear of God. We shouldn't be looking at things that, you know, are not right. And you can scroll through your phone or your whatever, and you can lock onto things on television and stuff. And, I mean, there's no fear of God in their eyes. When you fear the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. And when you obey the Lord, you're going to be blessed by the Lord. It's kind of what we see right here. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. God will bless us if we fear him and then walk with him, like him. And there's a couple of places that God will bless uh, that are mentioned here in this psalm. Um, number one is, is, the, is the, the workplace, and then number two is the living space, um, the farm, I guess you could say, and the family. Notice again, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. And it shall be well with you. Your, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. And your children like olive plants all around your table. You know, when we, when we labor faithfully, and there's just something about working hard. Not hardly working, but working hard. There's something about, you know, sweating, you guys. It's good for us. And then getting those wages, earning an honest living. If you could imagine yourself plowing the ground back then, sowing those seeds, uh, you know, watering it, you know, the irrigation, praying for precipitation, and then, 
you, you know, you see that sh it shows up and it grows up. Imagine that, you know, just everything. You see all that happen and the whole process from the, from the root to the fruit. You were part of that. You were working in that whole thing, right? And then you get to partake of that, whatever it is, the corn or, or the grain. You know, you're having pita bread from that. And, and it says right here, you, when you eat, verse 2, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. You know, and it's interesting, of course, we know that that in and of itself, it stands alone. But I even think there's something about the connection between that and family. Because as you're pouring into your kids, you're praying, uh, you're loving, you're doing everything, you're getting, you're fasting. I mean, you know, you're asking God for wisdom. It's one of the most difficult things in the world to be a parent because they have to choose the Lord too and you can't force that on them. But it's sometimes it's so cool when we do our job, we get to, to eat the, the fruit of that. There's a, there's a connection here, right? God will bless your farm. God will bless your family. You shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. The English Dictionary defines happiness as, as pleasure or contentment, satisfaction with a person or your situation, with your lot in life. You know, you'll have joy. You'll have joy. The, the Hebrew dictionary defines happiness as blessedness. They're essentially the same word. And so imagine that. You get joy from your job well done. You, know, you get happiness uh, uh, at home. You're fruitful, not just in the farms and the fields, but, but also in, in the family. Your wife, she becomes a fruitful vine, a fertile myrtle. That's what they say, right? Remember the Lord said in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, you know, uh, it's good for us to know what the Bible says, that it's okay to have a lot of kids. Maybe you won't have 18 and counting, but it's okay, you know, to have uh, that heart that, you know what, I, I, children are, are a blessing. You know, they're not a, a burden. Your wife will not only be like a fruitful vine, but it says right here that it takes place in the heart of your home. Now, the interesting thing about that, and there's probably a play on words there because the heart of the home, what do you guys think of when you think of the heart of the home? I think in the kitchen, but I'm not sure if that's right or not. <laughs> but Warren Wiersbe said that uh, actually what it's in reference to is the back of the home or, or the back of the tent. And what he says that that talks about is that she doesn't want to leave. She doesn't you know, want to be one of those ladies that says, I just want to go out the door and go and do my thing. No, that she wants to be there, that she loves being there, that she loves being a homemaker. And that's kind of what he's saying right here, right? Uh, uh, they say a happy wife is a happy life, right? And then I told someone that the other day, and they said, well, we got it. it works both ways. A happy spouse is a happy house. It's kind of cool how it works, huh? And so when, when you're basically, when you're doing things God's way, when you fear the Lord, and, and so you obey the Lord, you're going to be blessed by the Lord. And notice three things. Number one, your job will be successful. Your job will be successful. Number two, your wife will be fruitful. And I was even thinking about 
how a wife, you know, may not, I was, and it's just to me as I was praying, I was thinking, Lord, fruitful, yeah, kids, but even in the kingdom, right? If you're a good, if you're a husband loving on your wife and just leading your wife and doing things God's way, she's going to bear fruit in the kingdom. So, so your job is successful, your wife is fruitful, and your children will be useful or helpful. Notice what it says right here. Verse 3, in, in, your children like olive plants all around your table. Bless, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so, you know, you're wondering, what do you mean olive plants? So what's that all about? And again, it might just be the fact that they're, they're, they're fruit. But one of the things you'll find in uh, the Jewish culture, and even in that culture altogether, is that olive uh, olive uh, trees, olive plants, they were very, very uh, valuable. You know, you could eat olives by themselves. Uh, you can make olive oil, right? And with that olive oil, then you could then anoint, you could even make perfume, or you could even, you know, light the lamps. And so just helpful, just just useful, productive, effective. That's what ends up how, That's the blessings that God gives when we do things God's way. When we raise our kids like this, they'll wash the clothes, the car, the cat, they'll take out the trash, bring in the mail, mow the lawn, weed the garden, and then as your family grows, then they'll help you with the other kids. That's kind of the way it works, right? <laughs> Something even better than that, to me, when I think of olive oil, I think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Because there, that, that's what Gethsemane means. Gethsemane means olive press. And it was there that Jesus modeled for us, you know, prayer and just this intense prayer. And I was even thinking of my own kids. And you guys know what a blessing it is, huh? When you can eat meals with your kids. I would encourage you, fight for that. If you're still here and you got that possibility, you know, do everything you can to be able to eat meals with your children and turn off the, the TV. That was one of the rules we had. Never have the TV on when we're eating together as a family. And I do everything I can still today to try to make it happen somehow, some way. Let's try to eat together. But, um, you know, as you're there, thinking of those kids as olive plants, you know what I was also thinking about is how my kids would even pray for me. When they were little, I still remember their prayers, man. How they would always pray, Lord, please give my dad the right words to say. You know, because they knew I needed that. I needed help there, man. And I think they still pray that. I'm not sure. But I just remember when they were little. And this, you know, this, the olive plants. Praise God that we can have that family fellowship all around our, our table, right? He says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Verse 5, The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. And so they're, they're useful now, you know, and it's kind of cool how he, he prays the blessing from above, from Zion, he mentions Jerusalem, and again, like I'm telling you, what he's talking about is your family becomes a blessing to society. It impacts Jerusalem, and eventually we're going to see it impacts the whole nation of Israel. 
And Warren Wiersbe said, true patriotism begins in the home where love of God, family, and country are bound together. And, and what a blessing it is, even right here, for you grandparents here, you know, to just the fact that you get to see your grandchildren. What a blessing that is. I remember when I got diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure, I said, well, it was one of my prayers. Lord, let me just live long enough to see my grandchildren. And, uh, uh, of course, we know it's more, though, than just seeing them. Huh? I mean, of course, you as grandparents, you want to influence them for good. And, and I don't know how this works. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a grandparent yet, but they say that you can spoil them and send them back to mom and dad. Probably not a good idea, huh? <laughs> as a grandparent, you know, you want to still be the one to discipline and still point them to Jesus. That's what I was thinking, right? And so um, it's kind of interesting when you look at this psalm right here from bride and groom, you know, parents, uh, all the way to grandparents in just six verses. And my, how time flies. That's life, huh? One more psalm, Psalm 129. It says, a song of ascents. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth that Israel now say, Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. So you remember we've gone through these psalms where he says, okay, go ahead, say it, say it. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Israel, from its inception, from its conception, man, going through hard times, many a time, not just once in a while, many a time, I've been afflicted, you know, from my youth. But, and even though the enemies come uh, against me, and even though I've failed, I have failed, Israel has failed, they, the enemies, have not prevailed. It's just a beautiful thing. Huh, you guys are still standing. You're here today, and hopefully you're here with the right heart. Maybe you failed. Maybe you've gone through some, uh, you know, obstructions, challenges. But isn't it cool to know that when, when God is your God, Israel means governed by God, you know, we can say this. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous, and he has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Pastor Chuck was talking about more than likely that the, this furrows on their backs are in reference to the times that they were in Egypt, and they were just being scourged, and these welts, you know, were there. But it's interesting how he uses the word furrows because that's what you would use to plant the seeds in. And it's interesting when you read the scriptures, it says in Exodus 1 verse 12, that the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And so that's up to you. As you go through the hard times, if you do what you're supposed to do, which is fall to your knees, draw near to God, then even in the afflictions, it's almost like God's planting seeds where you can grow, right? And so Israel could definitely say it if, since their inception. Uh, the enemy opposed many a time, but they had prevailed, right? The Lord, you know, took care of them. The Lord cut them in pieces. Uh, and so what the enemy intends for evil, God will use for good. Genesis 50 verse 20. Just hold on to that. And we're going to get fruit from those furrows. Um, the Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 5, that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. 
And so we get hit hard, right? Acts 16.23, I couldn't help but think of that. It says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, that was Paul and Silas, right? They threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so they were like, man, just crazy uncomfortable, right? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. God was listening too, and God sent an earthquake, and God began to save souls. So even though, man, we get scourged and we go through hard times, God has his way. God fights for us. He cuts in pieces the cords of the wicked. It's kind of cool how we see in the Bible a lot of times how the enemy would fight each other, huh? Because God would turn things around. And so the psalmist here closes by offering suggestions to God as to how he is to deal with those who had afflicted him. And so we read in verse 5, let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, it's interesting how here he's praying against them, right? And he's saying, let them be put to shame. Let them be turned back. Let them wither away like the grass on the roof and the sun just burns it up. Let them not be part of the harvest. In those days, and you see it in the, in the, in the book of Ruth especially, you know, you're just passing by somebody and you would say, the Lord bless you. You know, we say that. I, I, we say it, right? I don't know if you guys do. God bless you. You know, do you, does that carry any weight, like when you say that? Do you, do you, in, the, in the Bible, it was like, it was like a, a powerful statement. It wasn't just a high. It was like a prayer of power. What he's saying right here in the beginning is, let's say this, you know, that even though we've been afflicted, we've, God's prevailed, we've prevailed, and let's make sure we don't say this. <laughs> don't bless them. You know, let them not even be part of the harvest. Now, that's interesting. And what we find is that there's little seeds here now of this whole, you know, exclusivity that Israel had that unfortunately reared its ugly head in the days uh, that to come. That eventually what happened is Israel thought it was just us. It's just me. It's just us in our little cubby hole. We're afraid of all those people out there. We're not going to reach out. We just want them to go away. We just want them to die, to burn, to, to disappear. And for us, this right here needs New Testament light. And what did Jesus say we're supposed to do when we have enemies? Pray for them. Huh? Pray that God would save them. Pray that God would do that work. We should share the gospel here. It's almost like Jonah. You know, Jonah's like, hey, you know, God wants me to go say something. I don't want to go. He goes the other way. God, you know, swallows him up, vomits him back on the land. He's forced to say what he needs to say. He shares the gospel rather eloquently. You're going to go to hell. That's basically what he says. And they repent, and he's upset with it. Why? Because God is so gracious. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, that we're to pray for our enemies. 
so um, you know as we read the Psalms I just want to make sure you guys don't you know think well it's okay for me to pray that they would burn like the grass on the roof or whatever <laughs> that I can't say God bless you to them no you can that's what Jesus said